the eyes of all nations return time and time again to focus on the Middle East. It's a powder keg surrounded by flames. But could the key to peace for the whole world also be in that volatile region? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is an author, scholar, and speaker who addresses today's cultural and spiritual concerns and presents an intelligent defense for the claims of Christ. And Pat has available a decade of radio programs on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism online at evidenceandanswers.org. Download past shows, articles, and interviews on the most fascinating topics that we all discuss. And you can also support Evidence and Answers by simply clicking the Donate button on the front page. It's all at evidenceandanswers.org. Today we have the privilege of hearing Pat as he spoke to an audience on recent events in the Middle East and how these events were predicted thousands of years ago. It's getting very interesting. So here's Pat with part one of Islam, Israel, and the Hope for Peace. It's been the goal of every presidential administration here in the United States to bring peace to establish peace in the Middle East and in the land of Palestine. And on May 19, 2011, President Barack Obama proposed peace by ordering Israel to first surrender her land and return to the 1967 borders. The President's proposal that Israel first concede land before they go into peace negotiation appears to be an attempt to appease the Muslim world at the expense of our ally, Israel. However, land concessions have failed. Israel has conceded land before, and that has not brought peace to the land. And it was quite embarrassing to see Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Egypt, teaching our president and giving him a lesson on Middle Eastern history. Several times, the Israelis have conceded land to the Palestinians and what has occurred did peace come no the Palestinians used that land to dig in and use it as a base of operations to launch more terrorist operations in fact Benjamin Netanyahu lectured our president uh, scolded him gently that uh, if you study the history the history of the Islamic world and especially of Hamas and Hezbollah. Their sole agenda for existence of these two organizations is the destruction of Israel. That's the sole reason why they exist and they're funded by the Middle Eastern countries and the Soviet Union. And so he looked at the president and he said, how can you negotiate with anyone that seeks only your destruction? And he said, if we give up the lands that we have, then Israel becomes indefensible. These heights of which the Israelis have now allow them to defend and patrol the territories out there. And if they surrender that, that gives the PLO, Hamas, Hezbollah, and other terrorist organizations the ability to infiltrate Israel very quickly and launch their terrorist attacks. In fact, Musa Abu Marzuk, a top Hamas leader in Russia, on the very following Tuesday of President Obama's proposal, bristled and rejected Obama's call for the recognition of the nation of Israel, saying that recognizing Israel's sovereignty would be the surrender of Palestinian lands. And he stated, quote, For me and my Palestinian comrades, the recognition of Israel would amount to recognizing that we have forgotten our home and our lands. That's why we cannot 
recognize Israel. You see, conceding the lands would not bring peace to the Middle East. What does Hamas, Hezbollah, the Islamic nations of the Middle East want? They want the complete destruction of Israel. As Ahmadinejad, president of Iran, said, Israel must be wiped off the map. That's the goal of the Islamic world and those that surround the nation of Israel. So going in there and surrendering this land, thinking somehow it's going to appease the Muslims and bring peace, is very naive. Well, is there a chance for peace in the land of Israel? Can we hope for peace in Israel and the Middle East? Several conditions must occur, according to the Bible, before peace will arrive in the land of Israel. Now, before we go in to the conditions that must exist for peace to come to the Middle East, we've got to understand why the Islamic world today seeks the destruction of Israel. And we go all the way back 1400 years to the life of Muhammad. When Muhammad first began preaching his message, he believed that he received revelations from Allah, the angel Gabriel. And he began preaching his message in the city of Mecca. And he was very friendly to the Jews and the Christians. He thought he was another one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And he appealed to the Jews and the Christians. However, uh, they rejected his message. But early in his preaching, he was very friendly to the Christians and the Jews. And you read the early surahs, the early writings of Muhammad. The Quran is not written in chronological order. Okay? But there's two divisions in the Quran. And you need to figure out where they are. You have the Mecca surahs and the Medina surahs. Right? And then you also have what's called the law of abrogation. The later surahs override the earlier surahs. So in the early surahs, he was friendly and congenial to the Jews and the Christians, wanting to win them over to his message. And so there's several surahs that you see quoted saying, see, Islam is a religion of peace. It's a religion of peace. Look, Muhammad taught tolerate the Jews and the Christians. And indeed he did early in his preaching. However, the Medina surahs, okay, his message was rejected. He was persecuted and he fled to the city of Medina. And there in Medina, he gathered a powerful, powerful army. And they made their living attacking caravans. All right? and he gathered a powerful army. And that is where his hostility to the Jews and the Christians began to rise. And the surahs that come from there, the Medina surahs, are extremely hostile to the Christians and the Jews. In fact, we see that in Medina, Muhammad fought in 30 wars. There's three major wars that he fought with the Meccan army. The second one is the Battle of the Ditch or the, or the Siege of Medina which the armies of Mecca came and surrounded the city of Medina hoping to once and for all destroy the armies of Muhammad for his attacks on the trade caravans was hurting the economy of Mecca there so they fought the battle of Badr which they lost then they came back and fought the next battle which they won finally they came upon Medina which hopes to destroy Muhammad's army and Muhammad built a large ditch a moat around the city of Medina and they could not come in and capture Muhammad. Muhammad, believing that the Jews had betrayed him and sided with the armies of Mecca, marched 700 men out to the ditch outside the city and beheaded all of them. Sold the women and kids uh, off into slavery. And that's been his relationship with the Jews from then on. For example, in chapter 5 of the Quran, he denounced the Jews for rejecting him. In chapter 3 of the Quran, 
He calls the Jews and the Christians, they're called people of the book in the Quran, he called them perverted transgressors. After winning control of Mecca and the Arabian Peninsula, Muhammad received a revelation to fight against the Jews and Christians until they accepted paying the high taxes and feeling subdued and living as second-class citizens in Muslim societies. Muhammad taught that the Jews and Christians rejected his message due to their perversion and the rebellion to the truth. Therefore, Muhammad announced in chapter 5 of the Quran that the Jews and Christians were an accursed people. According to Bukhari in the Hadith, in Muhammad's final moments, he spent it in the arms of his youngest wife Aisha, who he married when she was six years old. And his final words were, May Allah curse the Jews and Christians, for they built the places of worship at the graves of the prophets. And according to F.E. Peterson, a reader on classical Islam, several schools of Islamic eschatology teaches that one day the Mahdi and Jesus will return, break crosses and slaughter the Christians and the Jews, and establish Islam as the true religion. So Muhammad was hostile to the Jews. He wrote against the Jews and the Christians. And the Islamic world is simply following his example and following in his footsteps. The Islamic world today believes that Israel does not have the right to exist as a nation. Why is that? Well, in Islamic theology, lands that were conquered by Islamic powers were given to them by Allah and given to them forever. They're never to be surrendered to a foreign power. Israel was created by the Western powers after World War II in 1948 and the United Nations imposed their will, they believe illegally, on the land of Palestine, illegitimately creating the land of Israel in 1948, taking away what was Palestinian territory. And they have never recognized the right of Israel and the Jews to exist as a nation. In fact, just a few days after they were established as a nation, we have the War of Independence. When Israel didn't yet have a standing army, they were attacked by the five surrounding nations seeking to destroy the nation of Israel. And in what was a remarkable victory, Israel was able to defeat those armies, vastly, vastly outnumbered and with few sophisticated weaponry, was able to defend themselves and repulse that attack. But the Muslim world today refuses to recognize Israel as a nation and their right to exist. They believe that the land rightfully belongs to them and Israel was illegitimately created and must get out. I remember when I was in the uh, country of Jordan and our guide claimed he was a Christian, to you know, Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so that evening, you know, after he had had a few drinks, I asked him, I said, man, living here in Jordan is great. You get to see Petra and all these lands and you walk right over into the land of Israel and get to see all of that. And he said, I've never been to the land of Israel and I'll never go there in my lifetime. And I said, why? And he said, well, because there's nothing but a bunch of criminals over there. You know, and I don't want to be in the land of criminals. And he's going on and on. And I said, excuse me, who are the criminals that run the land of Israel? And he said, the Jews. The Jews don't belong there. They need to get out. And I said, is that right? I said, you know, that land was promised to them in the Old Testament. And, and he cut me right off. And he said, Moses is the greatest criminal in the history of the world. He invaded the land of Israel and he should have never come in. You know, and so I said, I said, you told us earlier you were a Christian. He said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. 
And I said, um, did you know Jesus quotes the book of Moses several times? He names the book of Moses. And he says, no, no, Jesus doesn't. You know, and I showed him several places. And I said, why did Jesus die on the cross the way that he did? It's to fulfill the law of the Old Testament, especially right, the laws of the Passover given to us by, guess who? Moses, fulfilling Genesis 3, 15, the prophecy there, the seed of the woman, written by, guess who? Moses. You know, but he refused to accept that. But you could see the anger and the uh, hostility he had for the Jewish people and the need for Israel to be, as Ahmadinejad said, wiped right off the map. Now, this is the Islamic reason for their animosity towards Israel. But there is an even greater power at work here. You see, Israel is central to God's redemption plan for the world. Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, which is an eternal covenant. The Abrahamic covenant promises that through Israel, the entire world will come to know God. In Genesis 12 verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed okay? that is the Abrahamic covenant it's an eternal covenant and it's through the nation of Israel the entire world was going to come to know God so Israel is central to God's redemption plan of the, of the world. It's central to evangelism, to the world coming to know God. 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's another very important covenant, the Davidic covenant. It's another everlasting covenant here. You may know the story that David wished to build a house, a temple unto the Lord, and God said, no, you will not because you are a man who have shed blood, but your descendant will. And he gives this promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people of Israel and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more from that time on I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies moreover the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I shall establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever In verse 16 and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision Nathan spoke to David so it is through Israel that the king who sets up the everlasting kingdom of God shall reign he shall reign he shall come from the land of Israel a descendant of David and it is in the land of Israel from which he will reign Jeremiah 31 is the third 
important covenant here. It's another everlasting covenant, and it's called the New Covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31 states this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I have made with your fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. God will indwell within his people, and there will be a national repentance, and the people of Israel shall come to know their God. And he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill of Gareb, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the field as far as the brook of Kindron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown any more. It is through Israel and from Jerusalem then that the king shall reign. In fact, very quickly, let's look at another scripture, Isaiah chapter 2. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations will flow to it. And many people shall say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they train for war anymore. So it is through Israel and from Jerusalem that the king shall rule this everlasting kingdom. So Israel is central to the redemption of the world. To God's redemption plan for mankind, Israel is central. Now, the devil seeks to destroy God's plan to redeem the world. So if the devil can destroy Israel, then he can thwart God's redemption plan for the world. And from the beginning, the devil has sought to destroy Israel and God's redemption plan for the world. However, the nations that have attacked Israel eventually failed, and in turn, they were judged by God. And the devil has used many nations in attempts to destroy the nation of Israel. Throughout the Bible, many empires and powerful nations were used in attempts to destroy the nation of Israel. And in the end, these nations were judged and destroyed by God. You know, Israel, uh, Egypt attempted to destroy the nation of Israel, throwing their firstborn into the Nile. And in the end, the final plague, what happens? Their firstborn ends up being killed. Edom watched as Israel was attacked by foreign nations and even plundered Israel after their downfall. And in the end, Obadiah, Edom falls, and they are plundered by many nations. The devil has used many nations in an attempt to destroy Israel. Assyria, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans in 70 AD just demolished the city of Jerusalem and leveled it and burned the city to the ground. The Germans in the Holocaust slaughtering six million Jews. 
the Russians funding these nations to destroy the nation of Israel. Many have been used to destroy the nation of Israel because that would thwart God's plan to redeem the world unto himself. Presently now, the Muslim nations are seeking the destruction of Israel. There are six million Jews living in the land of Israel, surrounded by 300 million Muslims. So they're 50 times outnumbered by the Muslims in the Middle East. And there have been numerous attempts to destroy the nation of Israel, vastly outnumbered. It's truly amazing to see how these people have survived these numerous attacks. Obviously, God is having a hand in preserving this nation. In fact, the prophecy of Jeremiah 31 states, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. So despite the attempts of the Islamic world, of the Russians, of the Romans, of the Greeks, of the Babylonians, to destroy the nation of Israel, God promises that Israel will be around until the return of his son. The only way to destroy Israel, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, is, first of all, you've got to make a big nuclear missile and shoot it at the sun, right? And destroy the sun. Then you've got to make another one and, and destroy the moon. Then you've got to make a billion more missiles, about a hundred times bigger than those missiles, and shoot them at the stars in the sky. Okay? Only when you do that shall Israel cease to be a nation. That's the only way Israel will be destroyed. Maybe that's why Ahmadinejad is working so hard to get nuclear weapons. Okay? Uh, but uh, in other words, Israel will be around until the Lord returns. And presently, the Muslim nations seek the destruction of Israel. In 1948, soon as Israel was established with a very small standing army, the nations of Jordan, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon invaded the nation of Israel, and Israel, in a remarkable way, defended herself and repulsed, pushed back that attack. 1967, in the Six-Day War, Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, the surrounded nations that immediately surround the nation of Israel, funded financially and with weapons from the Soviet Union, attacked, lined up on the borders of Israel, to the north, to the east, and to the south. They were ready to pounce, and Israel, in a surprise move, launched their attack first and repulsed this attack. And in six days, they captured the entire peninsula all the way down to Egypt, up north into Lebanon, into Syria, into Jordan, retook Jerusalem. They were going to keep going if the U.S. and the British had not stepped in and told them to stop and return the land. In 73, the Battle of Yom Kippur, a surprise attack launched by Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, Algeria, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, Sudan, and other nations with 3.5 billion in Soviet military aid by air and sea launched a surprise attack on the nation of Israel. And things looked bad for Israel. It looks like they were going to lose this one until finally the U.S. decided to step in with some aid and Israel was able to repulse this attack. I remember I was speaking of this in the country of Uganda 
And as I was speaking, when I was finished, the pastor came up to me afterwards and he said, you left out several countries there. I said, I did. He said, yeah, one of them is Uganda. He said, under Idi Amin, we sent military and weapons up there into this war. So numerous countries attacked Israel in 73, yet she survived. Today, the terrorist organizations of Hamas and Hezbollah, funded by Iran and other Islamic nations and the Muslim Brotherhood, seeks the sole destruction of the nation of Israel. The only reason they exist is the destruction of the nation of Israel. And future attempts to destroy the nation of Israel will continue. We are out of time, but Pat has so much more to say on this topic, so we'll pick it up right there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. And be sure you go to evidenceandanswers.org and download both parts of this program on Islam, Israel, and the hope for peace. Not only that, but you'll find outstanding resources that you may want to give to someone who is seeking spiritual truth. Maybe that college student whose faith is challenged or attacked on today's university campuses. Or perhaps you yourself are skeptical or consider yourself an atheist or unbeliever. Check out the evidence and answers concerning the claims of Christ that we have at evidenceandanswers.org. We think you'll appreciate it. And finally, if you believe that a good, solid Christian apologetics program should be on this station, then please support us. If you're concerned about things like the rise of the so-called new atheism and appreciate loving yet hardcore answers to today's challenges to the truth of Christ, then please let us hear from you today. Just click the donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. It's the only way we'll be able to stay on this station. So join us as we try to do what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to do, to always give reasons for why we have the hope that we do to anyone who asks. Again, let me just emphasize, we do need your help to keep Evidence and Answers on the air. So go to evidenceandanswers.org, browse around the website, and check it out. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.